We are going to wrap up Romans 7 tonight, and, um, uh, and then we'll, we'll resume our study in Romans in the fall with perhaps the most beloved chapter, well, one of the most beloved chapters in all of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. Um, there is a, a verse in Romans 8 that most people have memorized, um, of course, verse 28. But anyway, it's a, it's, and I look forward to it, and I hope you will too. It, I, I will say it will be easier than the... Um, the subject matter will be easier in Romans 8, uh, at least easier to understand, certainly as glorious as that which, which is found in Romans 7. So what I'm doing tonight is kind of wrapping up. I, I want to I give you some summary comments. I've got about five of them. Um, and then I want to paint you a picture, and then I want to summarize again. So kind of a, an effort to give you an overall uh, kind of a panoramic view of Romans 7, so that you at least um, uh, you'll get a sense of what you didn't understand when I taught it the first time. So let me see if we can do that. Uh, I, I hesitate to read the whole chapter, and so I won't tonight. I won't read the whole chapter. What I'm trying to do is give you the, the, the overall message of, of that chapter, which is, um, as I said in the, as we began, one of the most controversial uh, in the entirety of Scripture. So let me, let me just jump to the, the wrap-up. Romans 7, guys, is, is, um, is a dose of biblical realism. Um, one, of the things, one of the reasons that I love the Scriptures is because uh, it, it tries to tell us, it doesn't hold back anything from us. It tells us the truth um, even about its heroes. Well, Romans 7 gives us a dose of biblical realism in that it is seeking to describe uh, a life that avoids two extremes. Uh, on the one end of the spectrum, guys, is the, is, the, um, is the issue of perfectionism. So here is the first summary comment concerning Romans 7. No Christian ever gets to the place where he does not see his sin. Now, again, guys, I'm, I'm growing this out of the text, and I hope if you've been around with us long enough in Romans 7, what I'm saying is that one of the things that Romans 7 teaches is that no Christian ever gets to the place that he does not see his sin. Uh, in fact, the more... Um, I hate to say it, but the more holy we become, the less holy we feel. The further we move along in this process of growing in Christ-likeness, the more distance we see. Guys, uh, I love to use this illustration, but um, I took a shower before I came, but I have dirt under my fingernails. But you can't see it back there. But if you and I were to get close to that light, you might be able to detect the dirt under my fingernails. The point I'm making is simply, the closer that you and I get to the light, not the less dirt we will see, the more dirt we will see. No Christian ever gets to the place where he does not see his own sin, according to Romans 7. So the one end of the spectrum that is avoided is that end called perfectionism. You never get there, ladies and gentlemen. That is not a legitimate position for a Christian to ever occupy. And yet, I, um, while I was on staff at Central Church, uh, made a statement somewhat similar to this and had 
a pastor come and tell me how wrong I was. And that perfectionism was certainly within his reach. Um, and um, uh, that man is no longer in the ministry. I don't know whether that makes, I don't know that, that changes anything. But I felt like that was a, a, a trap that he had walked into. That perfectionism awaited him at some point. No, ladies and gentlemen, the, the uh, one end of the spectrum that must be avoided, according to Romans 7, is this perfectionistic stance. Let, let me say that a little bit differently. S- same thing said differently. You will not know only defeat, but you will never live only in victory. You will not know only defeat, but you will never live in total victory. Now, that's the other end of the spectrum avoided, that being despair. I'm I'm always going to blow it. No. Or, I live in perfection. No, neither of those are true according to Romans chapter 7. You will not know only defeat, but you will never know only victory. Because there's never a time where the Christian will not be aware of his sin. And I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, the more holy you become, the less holy you will feel. The closer you walk to this Savior, the more um, uh, of your shortcomings and failings you see. That is one of the summary comments that grows out of Romans chapter 7. Secondly, Gang, the struggle with sin never ends. And it is quite an important fact for you to realize that is, you must expect a life that tastes like a battle. Um, J.C. Ryle, one of my heroes, says that that, that true Christianity is a fight. The the existence or the, the feeling of war... That's not a bad thing. That's a good sign. Gang, anything is better than apathy and, and indifference. Um, and and I, I, I think we are somewhat prone to, um, to sense a, a certain defeatedness because we're constantly struggling with sin. Guys, that is the nature of Christian existence. That is, expect a fight, you'll be in the fight, and the fight will never end. You know, guys, um, I said this one week, I, I forget when, but I'm convinced. Now, this is, this is a, something that I don't think grows out of the text, but I, I, I still hold to this position, uh, a conviction perhaps. I'm convinced that God allows us to fail. God allows us to sin for the purpose of humbling us. Um, the, the example that I love to use is, uh, you know, most of my sin is either done with my tongue or behind the wheel. Um, I don't want to tell you about the tongue ones, uh, but, and I, I shouldn't tell you about the ones behind the wheel. But, uh, you know, I can understand road rage. Can you? I mean, I, I'm not the only one that loses it behind the wheel. I mean, and, you know, things that are done and you wonder, do you have a brain? I mean, how could you possibly have done something that stupid? But there have been times, ladies and gentlemen, that I have done things. I remember um, uh, it was early one morning and I was driving out Poplar and, and um, I was in the left-hand lane. I was coming, to, uh, coming from someplace towards the church out Poplar, going east, uh, right up there close to uh, St. George's Episcopal, right in there. 
And um, there was a guy in the right lane. Of course, if you're in the right lane, you're free to drive at a slower speed. But in the left lane, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to. Well, I was driving the speed limit. And there was a guy that was, you know, behind me, and he wanted around. And, um, and he kept, you know, blowing his horn. And, I, and at one point, I mean, I was just, okay, okay, you're going to act like that. Watch this. I'm just going to stay exactly the speed this guy's staying. And I'll keep you back there forever. I'll drive, I'll drive to Moscow and keep you back there, buddy. And at one point, we drove past a, and he's just railing at me and, you know, honking his horn. And we drove past a speed limit sign. And I, um, um, you know, of course, he's in my rearview mirror, and I'm going, Anyway, so finally I relented and let this beast around me, um, you know, I pull over in the right lane, let him go. Well, but I mean, do you know how your heart starts pumping when you're in that, you know, just. And, and after he's gone and um, a cooler head had prevailed, I thought, what have you just been able to see about you? That is in you. That kind of torment, that kind of meanness, that kind of, and, and I, I, my point is, I, I'm ne- I wasn't, never and I'm, am I more aware of just how far sin has ravaged me than when I have just committed it. And so, thus leading me to my conviction that I, I think that God allows us because it does, we can see our own inability to resist and to overcome the stuff that we find inside of us. Um, and then hopefully are driven to repentance and, and, and uh, recognize once again just how far we, have, we fall short. Guys, those relapses are, um, are a part of the, of the Christian's experience. I will say this. Those relapses ought to make us smarter. Uh, we, 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 don't even want to, we don't want to waste our failures. But the, the, um, the, the, the point is simply there is a battle that goes on. And I'm not talking about the battle with the world and the battle with the non-Christians and the battle with you know, the media. I'm talking about the battle that goes on inside of you. Just that one. That is a part of the Christian's experience. And that's to be expected and um, not to lead you to a, a posture of despair. Again, let me reiterate my first comment. Romans 7 is a dose of biblical realism. This is what it is really like to be a Christian. And um, as you read in Romans 7, you see him recognizing how there is this law of sin within him such that he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't do what he wants to do, but does the very thing that he hates. That's realism, ladies and gentlemen. All this perfectionism stuff is nonsense. All right. Thirdly, I'm going to come back to this as we close, but I, I wanted to introduce it here. Because if you want to summarize the purpose and role of Romans 7, here it is. You and I fully are aware that we are not justified by works. You are not justified by law. What we don't seem to realize is, nor are we sanctified by law. Justification is by faith. Sanctification is by faith. Because, ladies and gentlemen, every time you resort to some kind of effort of willpower, you end up at the same place every time. That produced nothing. 
my, 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 the, the, the battle that is particularly um, pertinent to my life, may not be to yours, but, you know, I, I see how the Scriptures, how God hates pride, and I think, oh, well, I, I, I really want to be a humble man. I really, and guys, there had, in, in 30 years of being a Christian, there hadn't been a whole lot of gains. Because sanctification is not, or humility is not to be achieved by another expression of my will. Justification is by faith, and sanctification is by faith. I want to return to that as we close, but I wanted to introduce it there. Thirdly, folks, if you are oblivious to what is said about you in Romans chapter 7, if you are not aware that this is something that depicts you and describes you and is true about you, you will tend towards being very judgmental and censorious. If you do not know that this is in you, then you are quick to judge all those wicked people out there who simply hasn't got it together. Uh, If you do know this about yourself, you are far less quick to, um, to damn people in their failings. If you miss this truth that Paul articulates from, say, verses 15 on, about the good that I would, I do not do it. Uh, uh, the one, it, verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. If you do not know that is true of you, then I, then I say to you folks, uh, you're, you're going to tend, you're going to find yourself um, uh, judgmental, high-minded, because you think way too highly of your spiritual progress. You think you are someplace spiritually that you really have not yet arrived. We tend to overestimate our spiritual attainment because we do not understand the, um, the, 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 the principle that is contained in Romans chapter 7. Here is 4 or 5. I think it's 5. Gang, sin is such a sinister force within us, such a sinister thing, that even our best efforts will never eliminate it. Uh, we were so ravaged by the fall that sin still produces um, failings even in redeemed people. If you for one second think that you're beyond um, a certain failing, it is because you have never understood the ravages of sin in your soul. It is such, I mean, and even this, this mature Apostle Paul is saying, I look at my soul and I see the battle that is going on and I find residing in there this law of sin. That wars against that redeemed part of me. And guess what? The redeemed part of me loses and the uh, sin part wins. Such that, and I pointed this out last week, that he finds himself in captivity. Which is, which is really, that's verse 23 too. Bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. That is a dose of biblical realism. That is true about us, folks. All of us. And the next time you lose your temper... 
the next time you, you find yourself so angry because you cannot forgive, none of that's good. I'm not trying to applaud any of it. I'm simply saying, understand that you have been far more ravaged by the fall than you ever dreamed. Okay, those are my kind of my five summary comments. Now, what I want to do before I move back to another summary <laughs> is that I want to give you a picture, a Romans 7 picture of a Christian. Here's what a Christian looks like as the result of reading Romans 7. First of all, verse 15, one characteristic of a Christian is that he hates his sin. Yes, we do find that principle within but the very thing that I, I mean, I find myself doing the very thing that I hate. The, the fact that you lose your temper, the fact that you can be so ugly, the fact that you can be so mean, or not you, me. Um, guys, that, that at least, that ought to be something that is despised by God's people. That's the first part of this, the composite. Secondly. He delights in the spiritual nature of the law, verses 16 and 17. He says, excuse me, verses 16 and 22. He says that twice. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I recognize that what the law says is true, and I see its beauty. I I find no resources within me to perform it. But I recognize the beauty and the appropriateness of that law. I, I hate my sin, and I love the law. Thirdly, he is one who longs to be delivered from his sin. His his sinful proclivities are a burden to him. He comes to the place where he cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am. He sees all this in him and he longs to be set free from it. Here's another. Here's the fourth part of the picture given to us of a Christian in Romans 7, in verse 18. I love this. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. In my flesh, there is nothing good about it. Now, there is a good part of us, the redeemed part, that is the the residence of the Holy Spirit within. But in my flesh, there's nothing good. So why in the world would we trust in it? Why in the world would we lean on it? Why in the world would we try to accomplish by it? Because there's nothing good in it. There's nothing good in my flesh, folks. Um, And I want you to know, in my opinion, getting to that point is the beginning of sanctification. That's where sanctification begins. When I come to a place where I say there's nothing good in my flesh. Because then what's the next step? We'll talk about that in just a second. But the fifth part of this composite of, of the Christian is that, which introduced me, uh, dependence is our middle name. Um, actually, it's not our middle name. It's our first and last and middle name. The, the, the picture of the believer is that he recognizes, he hates his sin, he loves the law, he views his flesh as having nothing good in it, and thus he resides calmly and peacefully. Uh, in faith in the one who can sanctify. That's the portrait, folks, that Romans 7 gives us about the mature, regenerate man. Now, that's who you are. Um, 
I wonder why that's not um, more widely known and more widely taught. But, but anyway, guys, let me, let me go back. I said that the beginning of sanctification is when you, when, you come to Paul, when you come to the place where Paul came in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And then I, as I said last week, it's like a, uh, he's reminded of something or a light goes on. Maybe that's a little overstated, but he says, I thank God. I know uh, who will deliver me through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, guys, if I could put it in a sentence, let, let me... Um, I hope this you will find this helpful. Here's what happens in the process of sanctification for we believe for us believers. Here's how it works. Now, guys, one of the one of the very tragic things about evangelicalism, maybe only in the South, but that's that's just about all I know. But maybe it's all over the. But one of the tragedies in evangelicalism is that we're looking for formula. We, we approach our, our Christian experience formulaically. And I'm telling you, you know, I've got a book in my, my, um, my uh, library, The Secret of the Christian Life. There's no secrets. But I'm about to give you one. <laughs> uh, I'm about to fall into that trap of giving you some kind of, well, let's reduce it to this. You know, the bare minimalism. But I, I'm simply trying to help you understand the message of Romans 7. But understand, this is not formulaic. You don't put in a nickel and get a nickel's worth out. It does, it's not that simple. But I'm just trying to pull a lot of strands together and give it to you in a, in a sentence or two. It begins like this. That is, sanctification begins like this. I come to the realization that I am a wretched man and I need to be delivered. I come to the end of my, 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 myself. I come to the realization that there's no good in my flesh. I come there, and as a result of that realization, I lay hold of my union with Christ all over again. Actually, all over and over and over and over again. I am aware that I'm a wretch. I'm aware that there's nothing good in my flesh. I am aware of this principle of sin. And so what do I do? I do what Paul does. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of my wretchedness and I say, okay, what am I going to do about this? Oh, I know how I'm delivered. Through Jesus Christ. I go back to Christ, claim by faith my union with Christ all over again, and I ask Him by, by His grace to take back territory that I gave over to the flesh. That, I think, ladies and gentlemen, is what we mean when we're talking about sanctification by faith. It begins, and by the way, what is it that brings me to this place of realizing I'm a wretch? The law. And that was the purpose of Romans 7, to tell you what the role of the law was. The law doesn't sanctify, ladies and gentlemen. The purpose of the law is to bring you to the place where you recognize I'm a wretch. Who's going to deliver me? Oh, I remember. For the 47th time today, I remember it's through Christ. Sanctification is by faith, just like justification is by faith. Gang. Think about it. Remember when you became a Christian? You finally recognized that, number one, you were a sinner and you couldn't save yourself. You remember that? And you remember, and somebody told you, 
Well, here's what you need. Having come to the end of all of your self-salvation efforts, and having come to the end of all of your self-salvation strategies, you must come to Christ. And we did. We became Christians. Now, (laughs) as a believer, having come to the end of all of my self-sanctifying strategies, what do I do? I go back to Jesus. Gang. Um, here's, um, here's your life. Um, you live the first, uh, 34 years, you know, um, uh, trying to save yourself. And, um, and somebody came into your life by God's kindness and told you about this glorious gospel of grace. Tell me, at this point, what did you need to hear? You needed to hear about a gospel of grace. Now you've become a Christian. What do you need to hear about there? Law? Grace. That's what we mean, guys. By justification is by faith. Sanctification is by faith. I come to the end of my self-saving strategies over here. I come to the end of my self-sanctifying strategies over here. We got gobs of them. You know, if I just memorize some scripture and I go to Sunday school and I um, and I give my money and I teach a Sunday school class and I help little ladies across the street and I and I, you know. Then you know I'm going to be holy. I'll be a I'll be a mature believer. Nonsense. That's all flesh, ladies and gentlemen. It's all law. It's all works. It's all pointless. So what we do is that we go back to Jesus again. When I when I'm about to kill the the guy behind me. And recognize, what, see, what, what should go off in us is this. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body? Oh, I know. I just need to do this and I need to. It's just like saying Hail Marys in the, in the Roman Catholic world. Okay, this will get me straight. I'll just do this, 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 and this. And then I'll be holy again. No, ladies and gentlemen. You went to Christ to save you. Go back to him to sanctify you. Now, before we we got six minutes, I want you to see something. I hope this will make sense to you now. Uh, Just a couple of pages over, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because this is a key text, ladies and gentlemen, in understanding sanctification. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, I hope this will be clear based on what I just tried to share with you. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Verse 30. Now, Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and redemption. We know that. We know that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. We know that he is our redemption. But I left out a word. Didn't you see it? 
He is not only my redemption. He is not only my righteousness. He is also my sanctification. I do not get holy by gritting my teeth, setting my will, and going out and performing well. I become holy, ladies and gentlemen, as I once again recognize. And, and see, this is what the law does. We've recognized its spiritual nature. We agree with its beauty. And it comes into our lives again and again and again. And what does it do? It just shows us again how much we need to go back to the Savior. We went to Him to save us. We go to Him to sanctify us. Justification is by faith. Sanctification is by faith. And that should happen several times a day. Law cannot justify me, nor can law sanctify me. But law can send me to Jesus. And that, my friends, is the message of Romans 7. Paul sets out to tell you what the role of the law is. Before you were a Christian, it was to send you to Christ. After you were a Christian, it's to send you to Christ. That's its only function. And then, having come to Christ, we go back and claim all over again. And, and acknowledging our sin, we claim all over again by faith that we are in union with Him. And we ask Him by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit to reclaim territory that we gave to flesh. That is sanctification. Let's quit. Our Father, we do thank You for all of Your kindnesses towards us. And this book is certainly one of Your extraordinary kindnesses to Your people. The... Um, the... the the fact that you knew us so well that you put it out, you put it down in print so we could read it tonight and we can go back tomorrow and read it and get refreshed and we can go back the next day and hear it again and keep on being reminded what it is that is true. Thank you, Father, for the, for the great gift of your mind, your will, your... Um, your thoughts reduced to black words on a white page. And then for the privilege of being able to study it and teach it. Now, Father, might it be clear in the minds and the hearts of your people as we go from this room to, uh, to hate our sin, to long to be delivered from it, and to rush back to the Savior as he is not only our redemption, he is also our sanctification. We Make our prayer tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.